You know a lot about golf. Well, we're waiting. Hey, it's a brand new week, and it's it's a brand new us. Time for us again. Hey, look. Those weekend golf guys. Here we are. I'm John Ashton. I'm Phil. in the studio. Yeah. I'm uh, Jeff Smith here at the Pinehurst Resort and Country Club, sitting out on the veranda, folks. Gotta love it. Yes, indeed. Pinehurst, man. Hey, Slumming you know, again, here's buddy. The, here's, the, here's the best part. Well, not, not the best part, but one of the great parts. Let's say it that way. So let's think. I'm hanging out. I'm behind the 18th green on number two. And we're watching people come in and we're everybody. We got our burger. We got our drink and we're watching people 30 yards away from us making putts. Guy holds a chip shot. Everybody goes crazy. Doffs his (laughs) cap to the crowd, you know, does the, (laughs) does the wave, you know, all that. And here we are, we've been out here for, you know, a good two and a half hours, you know, a couple of golf pros and I just sitting there. And uh, we're watching action come in. We're watching people hit shots, their approach shots into the 18th hole. You can see how they land. You can see how they get turned away because Donald Ross is such a benevolent uh, <laughs> designer of golf courses that all these shots, they come in nice and high and they bounce hard and they get rolled off the greens. And next thing you know, people got a 35 foot putt and a, 60 foot chip and all those things. Yes, that's we get to see that. How many of them start crying at the 18th? Because, you know, I, I would imagine for most, uh, Pinehurst number two is a bucket list thing for them. And when they get to 18, it's over. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, that I see a lot of guys that were look, looking very happy. I don't know if they're happy to be finished or happy the fact that they actually got to, um, you know, play Pinehurst number two. Right. Uh, or lucky that they didn't lose 15 golf balls, you know, whatever. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm not, not quite sure exactly what that is. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I've, I've been getting a lot of, oh, before we get any further, I, I just want to tell people, I hope you have gotten your November, December issue of Golf Magazine. Uh, if you do not subscribe, go out and get one at at a newsstand close to you, if they still have those anywhere. And uh, you may have to go to an airport to buy magazines these days. It's like the only place I see them for sale anymore. Um, but open up, open up to the back where it says lessons. It's next to the last page. And there's uh, there's a technique in there on hitting good drives by a guy named Jeff Smith. So uh, this is this is a, a repeat performance for you in Golf Magazine, bud. Yeah, you know, I'm, I feel pretty fortunate, honestly, that um, so that, that they'll, they'll publish that. And um, this this particular one we shot uh, almost a year ago. Uh, I was at the top 100 teacher conference in uh, in Scottsdale. And uh, that particular one uh, we shot in it was in november last year cool and uh it was it was kind of neat so it gets in the november december issue and uh weirdly enough i was in the one that was a year ago i was also in that one when we were at the conference i was one of the people in the magazine 
at the week of the conference. And this year, here comes the conference again. And I'm in the magazine <laughs> the week of the conference. This is it's crazy, right? It's a little, little odd. It is. But nonetheless, what I learned is that I stand a good chance at being uh, published if I stay relatively thin and wear nice, bright colored clothing. So <laughs> no more burgers for me. <laughs> it's... Papa John is crying already. (laughs) That's exactly right. I got to cut down on my pizza intake and my burger intake and, you know, yeah. and, but, uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of great teachers out there and there's a lot of great information. Yeah. And, and it's, there's, I noticed a difference too. There's a difference. Now we used to make fun of the, the lessons in the back of the magazines. Yeah. But most of them used to be, from my recollection, back six, seven years ago, a lot of them were written by tour pros, not golf pros. Yeah, it was it's it's interesting because they're they're always trying to get readers. Mm-hmm. Right? They're trying to get the magazine sold, they're trying to sell advertising, all that. So what they're trying to do all the time is to get someone that has that can get people's attention to to do the the golf information so um you know it's there's always a big question as to who they're going to have do what you know and for a little while there was there was not enough uh professional golf either instructors or players actually writing the articles um there was people who were just say journalists so to speak they were writing the articles yeah and and then that's hard too because that that they don't sell as many magazines that way yeah i was just just you know happy to see that they have uh, found found a uh, a formula that lets the average reader get a lesson from somebody who knows how to communicate a lesson and, right, and does not presuppose a higher level of ability like the uh, touring pros used to do. So, yeah. Anyhow, I've got something else I want to talk to you about real quick before we get into the the bulk of what we're going to be talking about today. But I have been getting, and and I'm sure you who are listening have have been getting a lot of emails and and a lot of references to this new Japanese putter grip. And I'm talking about yeah. how to grip it with your hands, not not a physical you know, grip to put on your putter, but it's where you take, like, if you're right-handed, you take like three fingers of your, your right hand and then two fingers of your left hand and, and intertwine them and, and then keep your, your index fingers on the grip itself and your thumbs, you know, on the grip also. And it's supposed to be a great way to keep your putter head stable and not worry about twisting. Yeah, we're always looking for ways, and we have been for quite some time, looking for ways to put our hands on the club so that our forearms don't rotate. So, so that the putter head's not rotating because right. it's it's already arcing. So yeah. if we add twist of the shaft rotation to the arcing, we have trouble. Yes, right? we do. <laughs> we have trouble. So you know, 
there's there's always been a grip or two that's out there. You know, I've taught people many times to put a double interlock mm-hmm. and the thumbs on the shaft. And that also will will stop that forearm rotation. And and even if you still, you know, can't feel like that's the right way to go, you know, sometimes you you single interlock and squeeze the pinkies. So whether it be the ones that I'm talking about or the ones that you've you brought up with the ones that you call the Japanese version, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways. Yeah, there are. But at the at the same time, they're all designed, as you say, to stop the shaft rotation, because that seems to be the biggest mistake that a lot of us make when we're putting. Is, you know, we think we're aligned and then we hit the ball with a putter head that is no longer perpendicular to our target. And right. We have a problem because if the putter head is not perpendicular to the target and you're not very, very, very lucky, <laughs> you're, you're not going to get that <laughs> ball in the hole. It's just right. not going to happen. And I also saw always, a thing too. It's always a challenge. Yeah. I also saw a thing too, with the guy just using the, you know, the, the little gizmo that they use to measure the, the speed of the green, not the meter itself, but the, the gizmo where you drop the ball and it rolls. And he had six golf balls and he had it aligned. I don't know how far away it was, but he had it aligned with the hole and he took six balls that were running relatively fast. And five of them with the stick in five of them hit the stick and fell in the hole, even though the ball was going quite fast with the stick out, all six of them hit the hole, but bounced off or up or over. Yeah. There is method to the madness of the rule change of being able to putt now with keeping the pin in the hole. Yeah. You know, there's a study that you just mentioned. There's also a handful of studies that show the opposite. You know, and I think that it has everything to do with where the heck you're hitting it on that flagstick. Let's just say that those were all dead center flagstick shots, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that if they were going as fast as what you suggest, they were moving at a decent clip, so to speak. Right. Right. If that hit a little bit off center, that thing starts to get out of the hole very fast. Yeah, it would ricochet probably, wouldn't it? Yeah. So. You know, you you have these studies like the one that you've just said, and then there's the studies that show that off dead center hits on the flagstick, they go out. And then there's the question of how many times would you hit dead center of the flagstick and have it drop in at speed or at the same speed, hit it just off center flagstick and it goes out. And I think that we could all understand that it'd be a whole lot harder to hit it absolutely dead center. So we'd have a fewer number of those that could have a chance to go in. So I don't know. I mean, when you put a flag stick in the middle of a hole, you're effectively making the center of the hole smaller. It would make sense that it would be very hard to have something run into that thing and not bounce off and still make it in the hole. Yeah. I don't want the flag stick in at all because I don't want to take the chance of the thing bouncing out. The hole looks bigger when there's nothing plugging up the center of it. We've got so a lot more good stuff to talk about. Jeff just uh, gave a big two-hour speech at the uh, Top 100 Teacher Conference. We're gonna we're gonna get the, an encapsulated version of it when we come right back. Hang on, we are those weekend golf guys.
Is hiring a challenge? Yes. Do you love a challenge? Also, yes. You need a hiring partner, though, that can help you rise to that challenge. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's powerful hiring platform can help you do it all right there. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. So if you're like us, a small organization that doesn't have a whole lot of time to hunt down people, well, Indeed makes the hiring process all in one place easy. Candidates we invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to the job here than candidates who only see it in a search somewhere. Uh, That's according to US Indeed data. And we get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching with quality candidates. Our job, quality candidates matched. Bam. Just like that. Want to try it? Of course you want to try it. We want to help you try it too. Here's what you do. Go to indeed.com slash weekend. And we'll hook you up with a $75 sponsored job credit. So if you have an opening now, you can start hiring now at a discount. $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash weekend. The offer is good for a limited time. Once again, $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash weekend. You know, in the minute I've been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data. Be the 17th, indeed.com slash weekend, $75 sponsored job credit is yours right now. With Indeed's matching platform, you will find who you need. Indeed, you will. And we are back those weekend golf guys. Thanks for hanging. I'm John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith's top 100 teacher, lecturer at the top 100 teachers conference. See how I said that with a little French accent there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Matter of fact, that made it all the more entertaining for everybody. <laughs> I imagine it did. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, that we were talking about that you talked about was the difference available in, in technology by going to a pro like you and technology available over the counter, so to speak, for me to use at home. Yeah, you know, as as I was talking, a big topic in my conversation at the conference was, you know, what what are some you know five essential keys to to coaching in the modern era? And the first thing we have to do is kind of define what's going on in the modern era, right? Well, mm-hmm. right now, and forever in the future, it will be advancements in technology, right? And you know, and then there's the there's technology out there that measure golf balls and golf clubs, you know, launch monitors, and there's technology out there that it measures stuff in the body and how it moves there's technology and in, in how we work out uh to improve our golf swings there's technology in the stats tracking that we do so there's all kind of things but let's talk about the things that homeowners can buy the regular joe golfer can buy at a decent price that doesn't break the bank versus the professional grade stuff, you know, okay. and there's, there are big differences here in what's going on. Now, for example, let's talk about your car, John, right? Okay. So think about, um, a beat up Yugo that you could buy for 
500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Your car that you could get for $30,000 mm-hmm. and a Lamborghini that costs $100,000. Okay. Let's think of, let's think of what you can expect to get out of each of those kind of vehicles, right? Everybody's just got it in their head right now that they're shockingly different things. Right. I mean, it's, it's simple. The Yugo can maybe get you to where you want to go. Yeah. But my, is it reliable? Exactly not. No. Right. Um, is my it car. Consistent? No, it's not at all. Right. Yeah. But it could tell you something. It could get you there. Right. Right. It could. You hope. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Right. But, but your car. Right. Yeah. In good shape. Going to get you right? there. Going to get you there reliably unless something untoward happens. And it's right. going to get you there comfortably. Yeah. And and that yet is affordable. Yeah. Right. And the Lamborghini is going to get you there fast. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be sexy. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Right? That somewhat is how we can look at some launch monitors these days. Okay. So you have the the affordable, the Yugos, the, you know, the, the two to $300 uh, things that, that they say, we can tell you certain things that are going on in your golf swing or, you know, like how fast is the club moving? Right. You know, right. It can tell you those things they say, and it can tell you, um, you know, how far your ball would carry. So they say, mm-hmm. but they are neither reliable nor consistent, nor sometimes they're also not very accurate. Which kind of defeats the purpose. It, it does. But those are being sold out there to people. But the technology isn't good enough to tell people the truth. But people don't really know that. Mm-hmm. And the heading, under the heading of what are you going to get from a, a, a value uh, out of a couple of hundred bucks right. in, a, in one of those launch monitor things, right? Versus the 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 two thousand dollar to five thousand dollar versions that are affordable, but you got to sweat a little bit to get them. Kind of like your thirty thousand dollar car, right? You mm-hmm. got some pavements on that thing, right? Mm-hmm. But they're more accurate. They're certainly more reliable, and they're certainly more consistent. Right. And then there's the professional grade thing, kind of like the Lamborghini, the mm-hmm. one that I have is accurate and is reliable and is consistent. And, and is also tax deductible, tax deductible. Well, like that. <laughs> yeah. But not to a degree that you would think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Everybody goes, ah, but you can write it off as if I didn't have to pay the money to begin with. People, yeah. It's a write off <laughs> for you though. Like, wait a minute. I still had to come up with yeah. that amount of money. To walk it down and buy the thing but that doesn't mean I get to write it all off in my taxes that year either. Yeah. So that's kind of a hard thing to swallow. So anyway, but the differences are those, those things, right? The, The high end version, the professional grade model tells me the correct information on a consistent basis. And it's very reliable, but yet here's the, the rub, the, the guy who buys one that he can afford, doesn't it doesn't enter his mind that the one that he bought 
that he could afford either the really inexpensive one, you know, two, three, 400 bucks or the, the $2,000 version ish is actually not accurate, nor consistent, nor reliable all the time. They think, well, it's a machine. Therefore it must be right. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Is yours as right as mine is, you know, and, and that's the thing is that none of these companies who make these can afford to have that accurate information be that cheap. It takes too much to get all the stuff detailed correctly. So it is always in those expensive models, but people just say, well, it's a machine, therefore it must be right. So I need to trust it. All right. To some degree, people are saying that, but the professional level people, we're not getting paid to be wrong. That's for sure. Right. So we need to have the tools that are telling us that. So that's part of this. How do we make sure we're coaching in the, you know, in the, in the modern era here is we gotta, we gotta know all this stuff. We gotta be able to tell our, our people, you know, like I'm doing right now, there's stuff on the market that I have to learn about that I don't even ever going to own, but I still need to know it because my clients are asking me questions about which one they should buy. Yeah. Yeah. Can imagine. So it's really interesting because if they bought one, one of my students, all right, let's say he wanted to buy one of those $500 ones and use it in his basement all winter. Mm -hmm. Would you tell him absolutely not, or just, I would counsel him on not trusting it. Okay. I would tell him don't waste your money. And I would explain to him because I know about this product because I've, I've tested it and I've understood what they are, that there are too many things that it'll get wrong and you won't remember that these things are wrong because you want it to be correct. You've spent some money on it. So you, you have a built-in belief system that it is correct. And then you'll find out that it's changes a lot. You're really not sure what you're going to get. And that's difficult because when you start to see things, you're thinking things are wrong or things are right in your golf swing. If that's what you're looking for based upon what you're being told. Right. And if the thing that's telling you that is inconsistent at best, you you got trouble, right? So that's where I tell them, don't waste your money. Now, if they're going to upgrade and go to that middle version, the homeowner grade something or other launch monitor, right? Mm -hmm. That's a couple of thousand dollars and above. Okay. So there's enough good Intel there to make it worth the purchase, but it has certain limitations that I have to tell people about. So they don't believe certain things about what they're saying, because just because they put something on a screen that says, we, we got you this information. I need to know which information that's actually accurate, or is that a guess? And a man needs to know his limitations. That's right. I, I heard that once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. Do, do you think just real quick before the segment ends here, do you think that the average guy, even the one who spends 2000 bucks on a launch monitor understands what all those numbers mean, or does he just want to watch the flight of his ball on the screen? I do not think that they know what all those numbers mean. Right. Okay. I don't, I think that that they think it, they do, but I'll bet you that they don't. Okay. Yeah. We could talk about that for a little while here in the next upcoming segment, because I, I think we will. Because yeah, there's a lot of that going around. If we can help people understand what those numbers mean, then you know their purchase could be much more uh, 
meaningful to them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They, they could, uh, they could feel better about what they've got and how they're going to use it. So even if, if they're not accurate, the 500, you know, a couple hundred dollar versions, if they are not accurate, that means even the pretty flight that they watch on the screen is not necessarily representative of what they did with their swing, right? Correct. Okay. <laughs> so you don't even have to know what the numbers mean. You just can't trust the picture. And if you can't trust the picture, why bother? Exactly. Just accent. That's yep. That's that's it's the right question to ask. Okay. Right? You're like, wait a minute, why did I buy this? And that's why I always caution my my students to go, not not a good waste, not a good uh, thing to spend your money on. Let's talk about the numbers when we come right back. You need to hang out. We are those weekend golf guys. Do not you move a muscle, okay? Have you ever tried to buy gold and silver and felt like you were talking to a used car salesman? That's because the precious metals industry is like the Wild West. Salesmen can say pretty much anything or make any promise they want without repercussion. But Genesis Gold Group is different. They're a faith-driven Christian precious metals company and believe in educating their customers, not pressuring them for a quick sale. Genesis Gold Group focuses on customer service, not sleazy marketing. Genesis Gold Group is named after the first book of the Bible for a reason. Proper stewardship of wealth is their specialty. Find out why they've earned a 5 out of 5 rating through the Better Business Bureau and how they can help you secure your wealth or retirement through physical precious metals. Call right now to learn more. 800-239-6987-800-239-6987-800-239-6987-That's 800-239-6987. And we are back. Now you can move. We were playing statue there for a while. Um, We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. He is Golf Magazine Top 100 Instructor. Uh, Jeff Smith, and we're talking about launch monitors and the differentiation between the uh, the quality of the information you can get depending on how much you had to pay for it. However, I would imagine that as is the case with everything technological, that the prices of all of them will be coming down. You know, once the research and development money is recouped, once the the prices of the internal components go down, then the price of, of the equipment itself goes down. Well, much like any piece of technology anywhere, they're always trying to make improvements mm-hmm. in their own products. Sure. And at the same time, someone else is trying to make a better version of the product they made and sell more of them. So there's always competition. Yes. And some people are buying based on price. If the, the, the two things are close in quality, the people will spend the one that costs them less. So at, at every, every time you turn around, they're trying to break out something new and piece of software, or they're trying to break out something new and a piece of hardware, whatever the thing is going to be the, and the older something gets, if it's not say, upgradable from the company like a piece of firmware upgrade that you could download into it or whatever if it just is what it is then it becomes obsolete right and then the prices go down but 
let's say that you have a, a, a launch monitor X and they're about to come out with the newest version of X, they are going to drop the price on X in preparation for the new version. Right. Very quickly. But I'm also, you know, things like I, I have a, uh, a desktop computer here that I bought a year ago. I also bought a desktop computer mm, 30 years ago. The one I bought yeah. 30 years ago cost me almost $3,000. And it doesn't do half uh, as far as speed and processing that the one I just bought a year ago for $299 does. Yeah, and that amazing. So, I mean, technology's should, come a long way. Yeah. So, why should the technology of a launch monitor be any different than that? Or is it just that launch monitor companies are so greedy they will not lower their prices? Well, I think the market probably dictates that. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Let's just say that you're a professional grade launch monitor company and the price of your your thing is $20,000 and people keep paying you $20,000. Right. Is it greed to keep it that way? Is it greed to raise it and find out if you'll still get paid? <laughs> that you, it, yes. <laughs> well, okay, so let's let's say that you're the CEO of said launch monitor company. And you have, like you just mentioned, you paid the R&D and you did this, you did that, you did the other thing business-wise. What about paying your employees and making sure they've got enough? What about hedging your bets toward the future to make sure that your one and only product that you're selling right now doesn't go obsolete and you don't get kicked in the teeth by the competition, then everybody stops buying your product? Um, Are you putting it into future R&D, right? So, you know, I, I guess there's all kinds of ways to look at that, but- Almost every time any manufacturer of anything comes out with something new, the something old starts to, say, get pushed out the door at a better price because they're trying to break out the new thing. So you got to kind of consider all those business factors of those prices. But everybody would love to have uh, the best launch monitor on the market and not pay a whole lot for it. But of course they would. Um, But again, again, you know. Intelligent companies understand that, you know, there is a differentiation in their market, in their niche. Are they going to, excuse me, niche? Are they going to sell, you know, the best damn launch monitor that does everything but the dishes and sell it exclusively to professional teachers and coaches? Or are they going to try to break in with the best launch monitor possible into the consumer market? And, you know, there's a company out there that's that's done that, you know, um, for ex- actually two of the three big launch monitor companies that are out there that have professional grade units also have homeowner grade units. Mm-hmm. In the in the, uh, the the four four figure price points. Right. Yes. Two, three, four thousand dollar jobs. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. OK. One of them even stretched itself a little bit thin and went with a, a pocket sized homeowner version of it that was selling for $600. Okay. But I think all they got there was something that sullied their name. Ah. Okay. Because people could say, well, I got a, you know, and, and throw out the brand name mm-hmm. thing and it doesn't work worth spit. I yeah, can't, and get, it this, sucks, I can't get that. I can't trust right. the number. Right. So they, 
they kind of did themselves a disservice on that one by going all the way down to the cheapest level and still having their company's name on it. Right. Yeah. And that's why a lot of companies have uh, different brands for different price points. But um, yes, the money we need, I mean, the money, the, the numbers we were going to talk about, though, are the numbers that the launch monitors return that that you understand completely well. A lot of your students probably think they understand, but you don't think they do. What numbers are we talking yeah. about? All right. So the basic ones that people do understand right away, right? Clubhead speed. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody's dying for that. Carry distance. They're dying for that. Mm-hmm. Total distance. They're dying for that. Ball speed. Everybody can get that one. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. All right. So then there's another number, another number called smash factor. Yes. Or efficiency. And what is that? Beats me. And this is where people, that's where people start to go. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now let's say, let's use the the easiest possible um, mathematical equation here. Okay. With this basic understanding. Club comes in, smashes into a ball, ball leaps off the face, right? And the ball speed coming off is, let's say, the ball speed coming off of a club head that's moving into it at 100 miles an hour. Club head moving, 100 miles an hour, smashes in the back of the ball, back of the ball gets crushed, and the ball leaps off the face at 150 miles an hour. Okay? Okay. That is the maximum allowed in physics. One and a half times the speed the club is moving, the ball can move off the face one and a half times that speed. Okay. So a smash factor would be 1.5. And that is only attainable on the on the, the driver and the putter because of lack of loft. And that's not USGA no specs. The ball that's upward. That's, that's physics. physics. Yeah. Right. So the ball couldn't even possibly be measured at anything faster than one and a half times the speed that the club is going in right. because the club cannot transfer any more energy into the ball at that point. Yeah. So the ball can't leave the face. So they call that smash factor or efficiency. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Yep. So, but it only happens on those low lofted clubs again, because they send the ball out instead of deflecting the ball up. Right. Right. So a wedge couldn't possibly have the same smash factor as a driver as the highest one on the wedge you're going to get or the highest one on the driver you're going to get are very different animals. Because one is not launching a ball forward very hard. It's launching it upward. Okay. And the other is launching the ball forward. So the forward speed of the ball coming off the face is always going to be higher off those lower uh, lofted clubs. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Right. right. That's the first number that people get screwed up. Okay. And that's the smash right. factor. Smash factor. Right. And then right. there's the, there, there's one that people think they understand and let's call it path, the path that the club is traveling on to get to the ball. Okay. You know, people say, Oh, well that's in to out or out to in or down the line. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you have a path that's plus two degrees, what does that mean to you, John? 
It would mean it, that uh, you are two degrees further off the center. Yeah. In which direction? I have no idea. It'd be to the right. Because on a let, let's say that you drew a line on, the, on a piece of paper in front of you mm-hmm. and drew arrows at the end. And you drew a zero right in the middle of that line. Everything okay. on the left side of that line is a negative number, isn't it? Okay. And now uh, that's and just for a right. Right. That, that would be just for a right-handed person, though, right? Uh, no. Oh, okay. This is the difficult part, right? Okay. This is where things start to get a little screwy. So let's say that the left-handed person, his goal is no longer to swing it plus two, is it? Okay. Yeah. Unless there's a way to switch it in the software that, of the launch monitor to make it flip. Yeah. Right. So that's the the that's where things start to get a little bit w- weird for people, right? Are there any other numbers that get a little bit weird? Because we're about to end this and we're coming right back. Well, of course, we have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash golf guys. Go there and follow us. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-441-9109. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-441-9109. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-441-9109 to donate your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts. If your company stayed open during COVID, I have some great news for you. Government funds are available to reward companies who stayed open during the challenging time. Now, this is not a loan, and you do not have to pay it back. Your hard work to stay open could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at covidpayment.com. You heard that correct. Up to $26,000 per employee. This program is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the tax experts at covidpayment.com. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work and share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify, including those who took PPP loans. If you have five or more employees, let covidpayment.com help get you up to $26,000 per employee. Visit covidpayment.com. That's covidpayment.com. covidpayment.com. All right, we are back for some time yet because the numbers are getting weird and people are getting confused. I'm John Ashton. He's Jeff Smith. Uh, Left-handed or right-handed plus... Plus numbers in the path are to the right. Negative numbers are yep. to the left. Okay. Yep. Now Let's we've got on. face face numbers. All right. A face angle. Okay. If it's facing zero degrees offline, it's going straight at your target, isn't it? Yeah, I would have hoped. Facing straight at your target. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So positive numbers will be to the right. Negative numbers will be to the left. Same thing. Okay. Got it. Now, here's the number. This is the thing that it measures. Most of these things will measure this. It'll measure 
the direction that the club is traveling in the air into the back of the ball. For example, a right-handed golfer, like most of us are, it's traveling from behind our bodies to out in front of our bodies to smash into the golf ball. So in to out, right? Okay. Yeah. And then there's the face in where it's facing at the time it smashes into the ball relative to the path. Okay. Okay. What if the face is twisted to the left of wherever it was swinging? That makes sense. Yeah. You could be swinging a club face that is angled left before it touches the ball, even though it is traveling through space to the right. Mm -hmm. The difference in this is the face relative to path or the face to path number. Okay. So let's say the face to path number is four degrees. Uh, minus four. The face is now left of the path by four degrees. So no matter where I'm swinging the dang thing, my face is four degrees left of that. Even if this your is path is two degrees to the right. To the right. Yeah. Or it's zero degrees at the target or two degrees left. The face to path number is negative four. And that means the face is pointed left of wherever you're swinging this club into the ball from. Okay. So of all those things you just mentioned, yeah, which, which is going to affect the flight of the ball more? The face to path. Okay. Because if John, if your club face is twisted one direction or the other differently than where it's swinging to, mm -hmm. you are going to create spin right. and curvature. Right. But if the face to path number on a launch monitor is zero, that means the face is pointed exactly where your club is traveling into the back of the ball. And you will get a linear shot, a non-curve ball, straight line shot, so to speak, right? Right. So I think it's important to know that as I teach golf and I make people better, the first number that I'm looking at, if we're trying to reduce the curve in the shot, I'm looking at that launch monitor telling me how closed or how open was the club face relative to where they're swinging. I'm looking at the face to path number first. Gotcha. So that, that right. would be of all the numbers that would be the, the ultimate, the, the primary, the number one. Yes. Uh, the thing that, that as we've already discussed, the thing that affects the flight of the ball most drastically. That's right. So if I'm trying to kill a curveball, I'm looking at face to path relationships all the time. Okay. All right. Well, what if I'm trying to speed the club head up and speed the ball up and carry distance further? What am I looking for? I'm looking for club head speed. I'm looking for smash factor, looking for ball speed. That's mm -hmm. what I'm looking for if I'm trying to make the thing go faster. Right. right? That's the one that the player looks for all the time. They want to know the club's moving faster for sure. Right. Right. John, if I said to you right now, your driver club head speed is 81 miles an hour. What's your, what's your brain saying? Swing faster. Yeah. If I said it's 105 miles an hour, what do you think just happened? If it was you swinging the club, <laughs> I hurt myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. So there's this, so you've clearly understood as the normal average casual golfer, you understand club head speed perfectly okay 
right? Now, ball speed. All right, John, you're swinging the club at 95 miles an hour, but your ball speed's 110. Okay. I'm your not ball good speed at math. came off the club. Right, I know, but your ball speed came off the yeah. club faster than right. the club was the being delivered. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know that that's at least not terrible. Yeah. Right. So that's something that you got to look at and say, okay, I, I delivered it at 95 miles an hour and the ball left the face of the club at 110. So I know that I'm at least like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. So you know that you're relatively close to the center of the face. Okay. So uh, that's what that I was going to ask. How how can you in- increase your smash factor in that? And it's hitting it Hit in the, the center. center. Okay. In the center of the face. This is the everyday common sense art argument of, Hey, John, I'm going to hold a club face right up to your, right in front of your face. I want you to touch the one and only one place. The ball can come off the club fastest and you will point exactly to the center of that club face won't you yes i will now what that means is that you're right but it also means that i'm about to identify the fact that it won't come off that club that fast if you hit other parts of the club face and the further off center you hit that the slower your ball comes off so your smash factor goes down and your distance goes down even though you may have been swinging at 95 miles an hour as soon is this I guess what I need to know is, is the smash factor always 1.5 if you hit it in the exact middle of the club? Um, it is. The that's the only way you can get it there. Okay. But right? it, on, can on you ever hit it in the middle? Putter. Can you ever hit it in the middle of the face, club face of a driver and not get 1.5 smash factor? Yes. Okay. Yes. Why? Um, so let's say you're swinging it and it's an indirect blow. It's coming way up or way down and so you're you're not hitting it as you're getting it in the center of the face but the club is traveling on an angled path relative to one that would go straight through the center of the ball and it wouldn't deliver the punch that you want okay so that would be the path number then yeah okay it'd be a little less than one and a half okay right all right so it's a little bit of a glancing blow think hammer to nail yeah. Hammer traveling at a certain speed coming in hits the center of the head. But what if the head of that hammer is traveling a little off center of that nail and doesn't deliver a direct blow? Right. It still hit the center of that head. But since the head is traveling a little bit differently, you're going to miss. Yeah. And it's going to not deliver as much power, as much force, even though it struck that spot on the hammerhead. And maybe even jump off and you know, crush your thumb. You got to watch out for something. That. Yeah. Right. You do have to watch out for that. That's important to know. Okay. Yeah. So what, what we basically done then is, is probably confused everybody to the point um, where probably not. Well, I mean, you, we know what the numbers mean now, but we still don't know enough. Like, like the question I just asked, if, if, if I hit it in the center of the club face, is there any way to know that I hit it in the center of the club face? If, if the path is off, do, I mean, if I know I hit it with a glancing blow, but I hit it in the middle of the, of the club face, I mean. Well, in, in these homeowner grade uh, products. Yeah. No. Okay. In the professional grade products. Yes. Okay. For example, the one that I have, we put stickers on the face 
and the professional grade product that I have measures those stickers and it knows where the ball is. So it knows how close to the absolute dead center you hit it. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Right. It also is measuring the speed of the club, the angle, of the club coming in. It's measuring all things about the face and the traveling. So right. then it measures right. the speed. The ball comes off really fast and it knows right away. So I think what we may have discerned here <laughs> is that uh -huh. keep your money in your pocket. Don't spend money on a three, four, $500 gizmo even the two three thousand dollar gizmo may not be sufficient keep your money in your pocket and and dole it out in smaller increments to people like jeff who have the right equipment and the right knowledge to tell you what the numbers mean because you get the uh, you get the accurate numbers and you get somebody who knows what they mean and can fix it all there or at least if you're going to get that homeowner grade product that cost a couple thousand dollars to maybe six thousand dollars if you really want to do that uh -huh. at least know what it can do and what it cannot do and right. don't look for answers because some of them will try to tell you that they're good at this and it's not a measurement. It's an extrapolation. And the extrapolation is the difficult part because you'll take it as if it's fact. Yeah. So you yeah. got to know what it is that you bought and what it is good for. And what's measured versus what is extrapolated. But just think, and if, if you, you can keep it. your fact finding to what's measured, you're actually going to be happy with your product. Just think what it'll do for your game. If you can get all those numbers, whether they be from something you buy or from something that a guy like Jeff has, if they are accurate and you know what they mean and you're with somebody who knows how to take what those numbers mean and correct what the problem is that's making the numbers wrong, then how much better will your game be the next time you go out and play some golf?